Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. All right, well, howdy, WCC. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews 8. We're going to continue our sermon series through the book of Hebrews. And that thing that sounded like a gunshot at the end of the song was me. <laughs> Last week, I left the thing plugged in, and it was like this feedback on the guitar. Chris, Chris is so gracious, he lets me play guitar. I'm not very good, but I enjoy it. And so this week, right when I played the last chord, then I just unplugged the thing. It was bang. So I guess I need to wait next time, huh? Just wait a little bit. All right. All right. So today we're going to be looking at Hebrews 8, verses 6 to 13. And the title of the sermon is The New Covenant. So we're going to be looking at the New Covenant. I'm not too creative with my titles, so we're calling this The New Covenant. Uh, And just as a reminder, the writer to the Hebrews has been addressing Jewish Christians And these Jewish believers were being pressured by family and friends to return to the Old Testament sacrificial system. And the writer to the Hebrews is saying, you better not turn away from Jesus and go back to the Old Covenant. Because if you turn away from Christ, you're turning away from salvation. Because salvation is found only in Jesus. And so the writer is calling these these Jewish Christians to persevere in their faith. In fact, that's a huge message of the book of Hebrews is persevering in faith. And that real faith in Christ is one that perseveres to the end. So we've been studying for many weeks about how Jesus is our high priest, our great high priest, how he always lives to make intercession for us. And I've mentioned this before, that if you want to understand Jesus as being our great high priest, you have to go to Hebrews. Like this is the place to go. There's very little in the Bible about Jesus's priesthood outside of Hebrews. That's one of the reasons Hebrews is so wonderful. Another reason why Hebrews is so fantastic is because if you want to go understand the new covenant, you need to go to Hebrews because a big chunk of the book of Hebrews is about the new covenant. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. Um, we're going to, so the writer now in Hebrews chapter 8 is beginning this extensive discussion of the new covenant, okay? So we're going to be looking at Hebrews 8 verses 6 to 13 today. 6 through the end of the chapter, and there's this big, you're probably in your Bible, it has a big section that is set apart, and because that's a quotation from the prophet Jeremiah. That's Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34, okay? So let's read the passage, we're going to go 6 to 13, and, uh, and then we'll walk through the, the, the section and talk, talk through it, okay? So let's go, Hebrews 8, beginning in verse 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, and then this is the quote from Jeremiah 31 about the new covenant. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. 
I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And then verse 13, he says, <clears throat> in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. All right, let's walk through the passage. Starting in verse 6, he says, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. So this is talking about the ministry of Moses compared to the ministry of Christ, and this is saying that Jesus has a better ministry than Moses, a more excellent ministry. And it's more excellent than the Old Testament ministry because it's based on a better covenant and it's based on better promises. And we'll look at those new covenant promises today. And notice it says that Jesus mediates this better covenant. He's the mediator of this covenant. And what is a mediator? A mediator is a go-between. If you have a mediation between two parties that are doing some settlement conference, a mediator is between these two parties. He tries to bring the parties together. Well, that's what Jesus is. He is the mediator. He's the go-between between two parties. And the two parties that Jesus is the mediator between is God and humanity. And he's the only mediator. In fact, 1 Timothy 2.5, and I think we may have a slide on this. 1 Timothy 2.5 says this. There is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So Jesus is God and man. He's fully God and he's fully human. And he's the only one that can mediate, that can bring God and humanity together. So he's the mediator of the new covenant. Now I want to address this. People often ask, how are people, how were people saved in the Old Testament? So before Jesus is born, how were people saved in the Old Testament? So in the days of Abraham, days of Moses, how were they saved? Were they saved by perfectly keeping the law? That's kind of a thought that people were saved by obedience to the law in the old covenant and they're saved by faith in the new covenant. No, that's not the case. People were saved in the Old Testament, and you may not know this, but think about it. Jesus is the only mediator. That means they were saved by Jesus Christ, the Son of God. They were saved the same way that we're saved today. So Jesus is the only mediator who can bring humanity to God in salvation. Now, the Old Testament people of faith, they didn't know all the details, right? But they had faith that God would provide a Messiah, And the Old Testament people believed that the Messiah would be their Savior. So Old Testament believers were looking forward to the Messiah. And I think we've looked at these scriptures before, a couple of these, but a couple of passages in John, and we may have a slide on this. In John 8, 56, Jesus said this, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So Abraham was looking forward to, to the Messiah. Again, he didn't know the details, but he was looking forward to salvation from a Messiah. In John 5, 46, Jesus said this, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. Moses was looking forward to the Messiah. He had faith. And so in the Old Testament, whether it was Abraham or Moses or David or whoever, they were saved by Jesus Christ. They were saved through faith, not through law keeping, through faith. In fact, later in the book of Hebrews, 
the writer is going to keep talking about how Old Testament believers had faith. They were saved by faith. So in Hebrews 11, the writer will say, he will say, by faith, Noah did this. Or by faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Moses did this. So Old Testament believers were saved by faith, by believing God's word, by believing God's promises. And they were looking, they were looking forward to the Messiah to come. Okay? So just like we're saved by faith, they were saved by faith as well. Now, on this side of the cross, we have a lot more details, and I'm so thankful to be on this side of the cross, to know details about it, about who Jesus is. But the fact is, Jesus is the only mediator who can bring God and humanity together. He's the only one. And as Hebrews 8, 6 says, Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. And the new covenant is better than the old because it's enacted on better promises. That's what the passage says. And we're going to, as I said, we're going to look at those promises in just a bit. Look, look at Hebrews 8 verse 7. Look at verse 7. He says, for if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Okay, so now the writer is going to begin an extended discussion about the new covenant compared to the old covenant. And I'll say this, and I've, I've already felt this this week studying this. When you start studying covenants, it's easy to get confused because there are so many opinions about this. It can get super complex. So it's really easy to get lost in the weeds when you start doing a study of the covenants. But I want to keep it simple this morning. So first things first, what is a covenant? What is a covenant? I think the easiest definition for me is this. It's a meaningful agreement. It's a meaningful agreement. It's a, or you could say it's a serious agreement. In this case, the covenant is a meaningful agreement between God and his people. Now, we have agreements all the time, right? We make agreements all the time. Let's say this happens all the time. I say, I'm going to the grocery store, and I ask my wife if she needs anything. And she says, yeah, pick me up some creamer for my coffee, okay? So I go to the grocery store. We have an agreement, right? I agree to pick up the coffee creamer at the grocery store. So I buy a cartload of groceries, and of course, I forget the creamer, right? I have a massive cart of groceries, and I forget the creamer. But that was not a meaningful agreement, right? That wasn't a, that wasn't a covenant. It wasn't a coffee creamer covenant, okay? That's not what that was, because it wasn't this meaningful thing. A covenant is a meaningful agreement, a serious thing. Usually it's in writing. And in our day, here's an example in our day, buying a house. Buying a house, that's a covenant. That's a meaningful agreement. To buy a house, you can't just walk up to some, you know, knock on the door, hand over some money, and then you bought the house. Now you have to jump through all these hoops, right? There's contracts, there's forms to sign, you need witnesses. It takes a long time. It's a big process. That's a meaningful agreement when you buy a house. It's a solemn, serious thing. So that's a covenant. So when God makes a covenant with his people, it's not just some flippant thing. It is a meaningful agreement. It's a serious thing, okay? All right, so that's what a covenant is. Next question. When the writer here is talking about the old covenant, what is he referring to? Because there are lots of covenants in the Old Testament. So what covenant are we talking about here in Hebrews 8? Well, the covenant he's referring to is the Mosaic Covenant, specifically the sacrificial system in the temple. And you can tell that from the context. 
So he's been talking about the Old Testament priesthood, and now he's going to start talking, in fact, in the next chapter, he's going to start talking about the tabernacle and the priests and animal sacrifices and all that. So the context is clear. When the writer is talking about the Old Covenant here, he's talking about the Mosaic Covenant. The one, in fact, you can see it too. He says, in the passage from Jeremiah, he says, not like the one I made when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. That was under the leadership of Moses. So this is about the Mosaic Covenant, priesthood, sacrificial system. Okay? All right, let's go back to verse 7. He says, for if the first covenant had been faultless... So he's saying the first covenant had faults. We're going to talk about that. But he said, if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. So the writer is making this argument. And again, he's talking to these Jewish Christians. And he's saying, look, even in your Old Testament scriptures, God promised that there would be a new covenant. Okay? And as I said, he's about to quote Jeremiah here. So he's saying, his argument is this, since God promised that a new covenant was coming, that fact alone shows that the old covenant was not the final covenant. He's saying the old covenant, temple, priesthood, sacrificial system, if God intended for that covenant to be around forever, then why would he make a new covenant? Again, these Jewish Christians are being tempted to go back to the temple, the old covenant, Mosaic covenant. And he's saying all along, God intended to show that the old covenant was temporary. The old covenant had a shelf life, and now we're, we're at the expiration date, right? That's what he's saying. So all along, God intended for the old covenant to end. And you can see that at verse 13. Actually, go down to verse 13. He says, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Now, what's beautiful about this is he says the old covenant is about to go away. At this time, the temple's still standing, animal sacrifice is still going on. But he's saying that the old covenant is about to go away. And you know what? It did. The book of Hebrews was written in the 60s AD. And in less than 10 years, in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. Jerusalem was destroyed by Rome. And ever since then, ever since then, there has been no temple and no animal sacrifices. Again, this is one of these proofs of the truthfulness of the word of God. He says, it's about to go away, and it did. It is gone. So the old covenant ended. And so that's what the writer is saying here. He says the old covenant is obsolete. He said it's growing old and ready to vanish. And it did. It vanished. Now, the Greek word for old here is something, I'm terrible at Greek, but it's something like gerasco. It starts with G-E-R. Can you think of any words that have to do with old that start with G-E-R? Geriatric, okay? So he's saying that this is a geriatric covenant. This is a really old covenant and it's about to vanish. It's about to become obsolete. It has a shelf life. So God intended for this geriatric covenant to have an expiration date. And then after that, it was gone. So the old covenant was like a candle. If you imagine a hundred burning candles, they're all burning brightly, but they're not going to burn forever. That's the way the old covenant was. The light provided by those old covenant candles served a purpose, and it was a good one. They provided Israel with light from God, but those candles at this time were flickering out. As the writer says, those, those flickering candles were growing old and they're about to vanish. And the writer's saying, don't try to keep lighting those old covenant candles because they're done. And God intended all along to have an end to them. 
He says they're about to vanish. All right, you go back to verse seven again. He says, for if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. So the writer says, the covenant, if that first covenant had been faultless. So he's saying the old covenant had faults. It had something wrong with it. Now, we need to be careful here when we talk like this because God is the one who made the old covenant. But when the writer says the old covenant had a fault, had something wrong with it, I think he means this. And I've talked about this a bunch in prior sermons. The purpose of the old covenant was to foreshadow the coming of Jesus. All the old covenant stuff, the priesthood, sacrificial system, temple, it was all meant to point forward to Jesus. But the fault in the old covenant was this. Again, think about Jesus being a mediator. The fault in the old covenant was this. It could not truly bring us to God. It could not bring us into an intimate, loving relationship with God. There were always barriers between God and the people. In fact, you see that in the temple with the, all these, the, the curtain and all these barriers to God. So the old covenant could not bring people into a close, intimate, loving relationship with God. At least not to the full extent that God wanted for us, his people. Now, there were people in the old covenant who loved God and they had a relationship, but not to the extent that we can have in the new covenant. So verse 8, look at verse 8. So he says, for, for God finds fault with them. Okay, so verse 8. So he's talking now about the, he's introducing the new covenant. He says, for God finds fault with them, the people, people of Israel, when he says, and then he begins quoting the prophecy about the new covenant from Jeremiah. So God found fault with the people who broke God's covenant in the days of Moses. That's what he's talking about. And then, as I said, beginning in verse 8 down through verse 12, the writer quotes Jeremiah 31, and it's verses 31 to 34. And I would encourage you to spend some time in Jeremiah 31 or in this passage because it's one of the most important passages in the Old Testament. It's massively important. Jeremiah wrote this prophecy from God around 600 BC, and I thought this was interesting. This is the longest quote in the New Testament, right here. This section is the longest quote in the New Testament. All right, remember in verse 6, the writer has said that the new covenant is better because it's based on better promises. So I want us to go through the passage and see why the new covenant promises are better. Okay, and I'm actually going to do it in reverse order. So I've got four of them, and I think we've got a slide on it. These are four reasons the new covenant is better. And I'm going to go in reverse order in the passage, and I think you'll see why. So number one is this, complete forgiveness. We'll go through these. Number two, intimate relationship, intimate relationship with God. Number three, it's internal and transforming. And number four, it's unconditional. Okay? So number one, complete forgiveness. If you look at verse 12, as I said, I'm going backwards. But if you look at verse 12, this is one of the reasons why the new covenant is better than the old covenant. We get complete forgiveness. The new covenant actually brings about complete forgiveness of sin. Verse 12 says this. This is God speaking and he says, For I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. In the new covenant, because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, we have complete forgiveness. Jesus is the true lamb of God who took upon himself when he was on the cross, he took upon himself our sins and he took the judgment that should have come to us. So if you've put your faith in Jesus, all of your sins were transferred to Jesus on the cross and then 
the Father punished Jesus for our sins. So our sins are gone. And because of that, if you put your faith in Christ, there's no more condemnation. There's no more judgment hanging over us. All those sins are gone. God says, I will remember their sins no more. I'm going to talk more about this next week. But the omniscient, all-knowing God says, I don't even know what sins you have. (laughs) It's incredible. We get complete forgiveness of sins that only comes from the new covenant. And the reason I've started out with verse 12 is because complete forgiveness is really foundational for everything. God is just and he must punish sin and we're all sinful. In fact, the biggest problem that all of us have is that we are sinful and we sin against a holy God. We sin against almighty God. Our sins have to be dealt with. And the beauty of the new covenant is that God promises, as he says in verse 12, he says, I will be merciful toward their iniquities. He gives us mercy. He will remember our sins no more. So the new covenant brings about complete forgiveness. And we as God's people should be rejoicing in this every single day. This was the problem with the old covenant because those animal sacrifices in the old covenant didn't actually take away sin. The old covenant sacrificial system didn't actually bring about forgiveness. And you can tell because even on the day of atonement when they would sacrifice the animal, you know what they would do the next day? They'd go back and kill some more animals. Every day it was sacrificial. And so it was showing by that that those sins actually weren't atoned for because it never ended. But with Christ, he says, it is finished. It's over. It's all done. All of our sins were transferred to him. It's complete forgiveness so that's number one the new covenant is better because it brings complete forgiveness to everyone in this covenant all right number two is this intimate relationship the new covenant is better than the old because everyone in the new covenant has an intimate relationship with God everyone in the new covenant has a personal relationship with God if you look at the last part of verse 10 where it says and I will be their God see that I will be their God And they shall be my people. And then verse 11. It says, and they shall not teach each one his neighbor. That word neighbor can also be translated as fellow citizen. Like fellow citizens in the kingdom of God. So God's saying in this new covenant, they shall not teach each one his neighbor. Each one his fellow citizen in the kingdom of God. They shall not teach each one his brother saying, know the Lord. For they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest. You see what God's saying here? In the new covenant, you're not going to have people saying to one another, hey, you need to know the Lord. You need to get saved, right? You need to know the Lord in a saving way. You need to know the Lord in a personal way. That doesn't happen in the new covenant. Why? Because God says, they all know me. In this new covenant, they all know God in a saving way. Everyone in the new covenant knows God intimately. Everyone in the new covenant has an intimate relationship with God. They truly know God in a saving way. And that means everyone in the new covenant has faith in Jesus Christ. From the least to the greatest, from the youngest child who's put their faith in Jesus to the most mature and godly saint, they all know the Lord in a saving way. So everyone in the new covenant has an intimate relationship with God through faith in Christ. They've had their sins forgiven, as we just saw. And as the Lord says in verse 10, he says, I will be their God and they shall be my people. The new covenant people are the people of God. We are his people. We're his children. 
Now, the old covenant was different, and here's how it was different. Because not everyone in the old covenant was saved. Not everyone in the old covenant truly knew the Lord in a saving way. So in the old covenant, it was made of, who was in the old covenant? The people of Israel. To be a member of the old covenant, you know what was required? You had to be a Jew. That was it. That was the requirement to be a member of the old covenant. You had to be Jewish. And the only requirement was, was that you were a descendant of Abraham, right? So within that group of the old covenant, you had people who had genuine faith. And you had people who didn't. You had saved and unsaved people within the old covenant. You had some who had their sins forgiven and some who didn't. So there was a small group of people in the old covenant who truly knew the Lord in a saving way. That was called a remnant. But in in fact, in the days of Elijah, remember Elijah thought he was the only one. And God says, I have 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. God has his remnant within the old covenant. But the biggest chunk of people in the old covenant did not know the Lord in a saving way. Okay? So they needed to know the Lord and they didn't. That's what he's saying. That's where the, the people in the remnant in the old covenant would have to say to others, hey, you need to know the Lord. They're all in this old covenant community because they're all Jewish. And, and you would have people saying, you need to know the Lord because they didn't know the Lord in a saving way. But the new covenant is better. It's different because in the new covenant community, everyone knows the Lord. And the, this new covenant community, as I said, is the people of God. He is our God. That's what it says. He is our God and we are his people. And there's a word for this new covenant community. And here's the word. Church. The church of Jesus Christ is the new covenant community. Because everyone who has their sins forgiven, everyone who truly knows the Lord in a saving way is a part of Christ's true church. The church is the people of God. We are the new covenant community. And everyone who has real faith in Jesus, we're part of the true church. Now, there are people in the visible church who don't have saving faith. I'm talking about the true spiritual church, right? They are the ones who are truly part of this new community. And within the true church, within the new covenant community, we don't need to say, hey, you need to know the Lord savingly. Because we all know the Lord, from the least to the greatest, okay? We have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And it's, I'll say this, I'm not going to talk about it much, but it's sad to me that there is a teaching out there that says that the new covenant community is not the church. There's a teaching out there that says the new covenant community is not the church, it's Israel. And honestly, I'm baffled by that. Because you're telling me in this passage that forgiveness of sins and a personal relationship with God, that these new covenant promises are only for Jews and not for the church? No, the New Covenant community is the church. The promises of the New Covenant community are only for those who put their faith in Jesus. As Paul says in Romans 9, 6, not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, belong to true Israel, spiritual Israel. And as Paul says in Romans 11, some of the Jewish branches were broken off and Gentiles who have faith in Christ were grafted in to the covenant people of God. So WCC holds to the historic belief that the church of Jesus Christ is the new covenant people of God. Each week we take the Lord's Supper and we hear Jesus say to us, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The new covenant is in Jesus' blood. He laid down his life for us, his people. 
Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. And those who put their faith in Jesus become a part of the new covenant community. Now listen, when when Jewish people put their faith in Jesus, they enter into the new covenant community. Praise the Lord. But if Jewish people reject Jesus, these new covenant promises are not for them. Jewish people who reject Jesus will not enjoy these new covenant promises. Jewish people who reject Jesus don't receive forgiveness of sins. They don't know God in a saving way. Jews who reject Jesus are not part of the new covenant community because the new covenant community is the true church of Jesus. And the fact of the matter is, and people hate hearing this, but this is a fact, whether you're Jew or Gentile, if you reject Jesus, you're under the judgment of God. That's just a fact. And so the call is, give your life to Christ, right? Today's the day of salvation. Turn to him in faith right now and receive the forgiveness that he offers. And if you're a Christian, I would just say this, don't let anyone talk you out of these new covenant promises. They're for you. And if you don't cherish these new covenant promises, then really you're living beneath your privilege as a beloved child of God. All right, so that's number two, intimate relationship. The new covenant is better than the old because everyone in the new covenant has an intimate relationship with God. Number three is this, internal and transforming. Internal and transforming. What I mean by that is the new covenant is internal. We'll talk about it. And it brings about transformation. In the new covenant, God changes the hearts and minds of all his people. It's internal. It's internal. It brings about change. It brings about transformation. It brings about growth in love and holiness from within. And this happens to everybody in the new covenant community. Look at Hebrews 8 verse 10. God is speaking and he says, for this is the covenant that I will make so beautiful. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. God says, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. In the new covenant, God writes his laws on the hearts and minds of all his people. It's internal. So the new covenant community has hearts and minds that love God. They love his word. And they want to grow in holiness and love. In the new covenant, God works in the hearts and minds of his people. And he brings about transformation. He brings about change. It's internal and transforming. The old covenant was different. It was primarily external. I think we have a slide on this. This is Deuteronomy 29.4. This is Moses speaking in Deuteronomy. This is near the end of his life. And he's saying to the people of Israel, right? This is the old covenant community. Moses says to the old covenant community, he says, but to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. In the old covenant, there was little power given to the people to obey God. There was much less internal transformation in the old covenant. Even among the remnant, that there was change. I'm not saying that there was no change among the remnant. But even among the remnant in the old covenant, there was less transformation of the hearts and minds because the Holy Spirit had not been given it in full at that time. The old covenant was primarily external. It was primarily about outward rituals and ceremonies and less about inward transformation. But in the new covenant, the Holy Spirit transforms everyone who is a part of this covenant. And he, the Holy Spirit, brings about transformation. He brings about change in a way that did not happen in the old covenant. 
The Holy Spirit brings about transformation internally in the new covenant in a more powerful way than the old covenant. And that's why God says, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. So the new covenant is internal and transforming. It's not just outward ceremonies and rituals. It's in our hearts. We know, listen, when, right when I've said, shared this with lots of people, when I became a Christian, immediately I knew God's word was true. I just knew it. He writes his word on our minds. We have an understanding of God's word in a way that unbelievers don't have. It doesn't mean we know everything, but we have an understanding about what God is saying that unbelievers don't have. Also, God gives us hearts where we want to obey his word. We grow in holiness and love. It brings about transformation from within. As Pastor George preached on last week, we'll be studying the small groups. Everyone who's a part of the new covenant community will grow in holiness. It'll happen. We will be killing sin. It will happen. It probably happens slowly, right? We're always fighting sin. Sin's super strong and powerful. But we will, over time, be growing in holiness and love if you're part of this new covenant because God's writing it on your heart. He's bringing about change. Okay, so this is going to happen. This happens within the new covenant community. One pastor put it this way. He said, this is the difference between God's way of doing things and our way. We focus on specific actions. God focuses on us. We try to work from the outside in, but God works from the inside out. We try, God transforms. I like that. So that's number three, internal and transforming. The new covenant is better because it's internal and transforming. And number four is this, it's the last one, unconditional. The new covenant is unconditional. The old covenant was conditional. And that's what we see in Hebrews 8. Look at Hebrews 8 verses 8 and 9. Hebrews 8 verses 8 and 9, God says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt under the leadership of Moses. Look at what he said. For they did not continue in my covenant. They did not continue to obey my covenant. And then what was God's response? He said, so I showed no concern for them declares the Lord. It was conditional. They didn't meet the conditions. The old covenant people under the leadership of Moses coming out of Egypt, which consisted of the Jewish people, as I said, many of them did not have genuine faith. By, By and large, they did not live by faith in God. And so this old covenant was conditional. And so God is saying, what he said to them is, I'm no longer your God. I'm giving you a certificate of divorce. That's what he said. It was like a marriage covenant. And these people had been unfaithful to him. And God said, I'm giving you a certificate of divorce. So he says here, so I showed no concern for them because they did not continue in God's covenant. The old covenant was conditional. But here God says, I'm going to make a new covenant and it's not like the old covenant. And one of the reasons why is because the new covenant is unconditional. Praise the Lord. Here's what I mean by that. When a person has faith in Christ and they're brought into the new covenant, then they will remain in the new covenant community forever. They will never be cast out of this new covenant community. And these promises are for them, for us, forever. So remaining a part of the new covenant community is not conditional based on our obedience. Now, yes, 
Faith in Christ is a kind of condition, right, that's necessary to be brought into the new covenant community. You have to have faith in Jesus. But once a person has been brought into this new covenant community, this is different from the old covenant. Once a person has been brought into the new covenant community, these awesome promises apply forever. God doesn't say, you'll be my people and I'll be your God as long as you continue to fulfill the demands of the covenant. No. Notice in the passage, there are no ifs in here. God doesn't say, if you do these works or if you do this, then I'll save you. Because when we put our faith in Jesus, his perfect obedience is counted as our perfect obedience. We get credit for Jesus' perfect keeping of the covenant. Praise God, that's why the new covenant is better. Because Jesus is our covenant-keeping Savior. And we get credit for his obedience to the law. And so these new covenant promises are for all of us who've put our faith in Christ. And there's no conditions attached. And you see this from the text. Look, look in the soul passage, look who does all the work. It's God. God does it all from beginning to end. In the new covenant, it's all God. We don't go to God and say, I'll tell you what, God. I'll do this and then you do that. No. It, it's all of God. God look, look how many times you see the word I or my or something like that in this passage. I will establish a new covenant. I will put my laws into their hearts, into their minds. I will be their God. I will be merciful. I will remember their sins no more. It's all God. Praise the Lord. Okay? It's all God. So that's number four. The new covenant is better because it's unconditional. All right. So those are these four wonderful truths about the new covenant, complete forgiveness, intimate relationship with God, internal and transforming, and unconditional. And you know what I really love about this passage? This is what I've been thinking about all week. I love this passage about the new covenant because it's really just the fundamentals of the faith. It's like Christianity 101. That's what I'm going to wrap up with. This is the gospel, in other words. The new covenant is the gospel because God is saying in these new covenant promises that he is the one it's all of him he gets all the glory he does everything he's the one who brings about transformation in our hearts and in our minds and God is saying that in this new covenant community we have this personal loving relationship with him he's our God and we are his people Also, God's saying in these new covenant promises that it's all based on the forgiveness of sins. So again, brothers and sisters, this is the gospel. The new covenant is the gospel. And God's call on our lives is to proclaim the good news of the new covenant. That's one of our callings as a local church. That's one of our callings as believers to boldly proclaim the good news of Jesus, the good news of the new covenant. And we want to do that week in and week out. And it's sad to say, and I don't mean to bust on them, but it's sad to say that there are many churches that have just failed miserably when it comes to proclaiming the wonderful promises of the new covenant. Many churches simply refuse to proclaim the gospel. This is a quote from John Stott. And if you know anything about John Stott, he's like one of the kindest, most gentle men around. But listen to this quote from Stott. I really love this. He says, one of the tragedies of the contemporary church is that just when the world seems to be ready to listen, the church often seems to have little or nothing to say. For the church itself is confused. It shares in the current bewilderment instead of addressing it. The church is insecure. It is uncertain of its identity, mission, and message. 
It stammers and stutters when it should be proclaiming the gospel with boldness. And I say amen to that. As the church, we need to understand our identity, mission, and message. And again, what I love about this passage on the new covenant is that this is a wonderful summary of our identity, mission, and message. Because this is the gospel. It's the new covenant. So as the church, our identity is this. We're the new covenant community. We're the people of God. The Lord is our God and we are his people. This is our identity. And our message is the gospel. These new covenant promises are a wonderful summary of the gospel. God has completely forgiven our sins in Jesus Christ. And the Lord brings about internal transformation in our hearts and minds. Real change is possible. And God loves us. He is our God and we are his people. And we have an intimate relationship with him. And and it's unconditional. This is a new covenant. This is the gospel. This is our message. And our mission is, as the writer of the Hebrews is saying, to persevere in faith, right? Continue on, trusting in Christ. And our mission is to proclaim the gospel. To proclaim the new covenant promises with joy and in love and with boldness. This is our mission. So church, that's my call to you this morning. Let's be people who are rock solid in our identity as the new covenant people of God. Let's be people who are rock solid in our understanding that our message is the gospel as found in these wonderful new covenant promises. And let's be people who are rock solid in our mission of persevering in our faith and proclaiming the gospel with faithfulness and boldness. And our prayer is that all of this would be for the glory of God, for the praise of his great name. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we love you and praise you, Lord. Again, every time I I preach or hear a sermon, I'm just so thankful for your word. You did not have to give us this word, but you did because you love us and you're so gracious. So thank you for this passage from Hebrews 8. Thank you for the, the prophecy from Jeremiah 600 years earlier about the new covenant, your covenant that you make. And thank you for these wonderful promises that you give us in the new covenant. And it's all because of Jesus. He is the mediator of this new covenant. It's by his blood. It's through his death on the cross. And Jesus, we praise you. We thank you for being our savior and our king and our great high priest. And Lord, we pray that we would be people who are faithful, who persevere in our faith, and that we would know who we are, identity as your people, and that we would be people who continue to just cherish your promises like we find in the new covenant. So God, I pray that as a church, we would be faithful to this message, to your word. We'd be transformed. You would grow us, Lord. You would grow us in holiness and in love and concern for other people and concern most of all for your glory. So we love you and praise you. Thank you for your word, Lord. God, I pray for people who have not bowed the knee to Christ. God, work in their hearts. God, please, Holy Spirit, please, even now, convince someone that forgiveness of sins is available only through Jesus Christ, that, that their sins can be atoned for. There's, the slate can be wiped clean because of what Jesus has done. They don't need to carry the shame and guilt because you promise that you will forgive all of our iniquities and remember our sins no more. I pray that somebody would turn to Jesus even now, that someone would turn to Jesus even now and receive that forgiveness and give up the controls of their life over to you, Lord Jesus. So we love you and we pray this in your name. Amen. It's now the time in our service when we get the great privilege of partaking of 
the Lord's Supper, this new covenant in Jesus's blood. This is not just for members of Walton Community Church. If you've put your faith in Christ, then you're welcome at this table. We believe this is a means of grace whereby God ministers to us in a special way through his Holy Spirit, where he changes us and transforms us as we come to the table. We also remember Christ's death. We look back, remember Christ's death, and we look forward to his return. Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He said, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. So Paul received it from the Lord. He delivers it to us and we can, the church continues carrying this out week after week. He said that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, right before he was crucified, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Broken body for us. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This cup is the new covenant in Jesus's blood. Jesus said do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death. That's what we're doing. We're proclaiming the gospel. We're proclaiming the Lord's death until Jesus comes and he is coming one day. All right let's pray together again. Again, Father, we praise you for sending your son, Jesus. We remember that every time we take the Lord's Supper, Jesus, we praise you for coming to earth, becoming a man, living the life that we couldn't live, obeying the covenant, obeying the law so that we get credit for your obedience, your covenant-keeping obedience. We praise you for that, Lord Jesus. You're so good and kind to us. God, as a church, I really do pray that we would be people who are just overflowing with thankfulness on a daily basis for what you've done for us and how much you love us. Please, Lord, just help us to understand how much you love us. And then through that, that we would be people who grow in holiness, grow in obedience, grow in concern for other people and grow in love and grow in concern for your glory as well. So we love you. Thank you, Jesus, again, for going to the cross for us and being raised from the dead shown that we too, your people, will be raised bodily one day when you return. So we praise you for your goodness toward us. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.